Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. You feeling a little of joy in the house this morning? It's great to have this energy here. I wish it could rub off and I could soak it all up because it's so wonderful to see. And it's so great to see the, the hearts of the children. You know, singing, yeah, amen, that's right. Come on. God knew everything we needed they were singing, right? And he sent us Jesus, the greatest gift, the greatest gift And all the world is with us now. That is the heart of Christmas, isn't it? It's the heart of Christmas. And it's so great to have our children singing about that, sharing with us. And and the nice thing is it gets in them and they share it with others. He gave us his only son to save us. Isn't that the heart of Christmas? That is the heart of Christmas. We want our children to know it. We want everyone to know that that's the heart of Christmas. God sent his only son to save us. It's part of the reason that we as a church went out last night. We went caroling on the streets. And some of these kids were warming up their voices last night. And that was such a great time. If you weren't with us caroling, oh, it was wonderful. We, our group, and there was, uh, we had 13 or 14 groups out there caroling in the neighborhoods of Sterling Heights. What fun we had. People were surprised. We all had our little candles with us and looking out their windows. Wow, this was a throwback to times gone by, but there we were just, and all we wanted to do was share a little bit of Jesus Christ with people and sing, uh, hark the herald angels sing, and silent night, and these songs that are about the heart of Christmas, Jesus Christ. This is what we want people to know. And you know what, though? There is a great deal of the culture around us. They still want to have a Christless Christmas. But a couple weeks ago, as we started out our Christmas season, we were making the declaration, you can't take Christ out of Christmas. No matter how hard people try, you can't take Christ out of Christmas. So why? Why then did we uh, title this series Xmas? Why do you have these little handouts? Why does your bulletin say Xmas? What are we trying to do as a church? Are we trying to take Christ out of Christmas? No, we're not. We're not. And if you're asking the question, why are we having this Xmas? That's a good question. A question we wanted you to ask. That's right. And we answered that question a couple of weeks ago and last week as well. And it's great to review it. And I will if you're here for the first time and you're wondering and scratching your head, why do they have this big Xmas on the front page of the bulletin? Well, the X, the X was adopted because it looks just like a Greek letter. And it's the first Greek letter in the word Christ. The Greek word Christos begins with a Greek letter that just looks like an X. It's the Greek letter Chi. It looks like an X. 2,000 years ago when the Gospels were written, and the New Testament was written, and all the letters in the New Testament, they had to hand copy them. And the hand copyists, they got writer's cramp. 
Imagine you having to copy letters. There was no such thing as a photocopy machine. Uh, they didn't have cell phones. They could take a little picture of it and pass it around. They couldn't text, Snapchat, none of that. It was all tedious. Stick a, stick a quill into an inkwell and begin to write on papyrus. And that was a hard job. So the scribes, they came up with little shorthands, ways to eliminate work. Words like Christ and Lord and God, the sacred names, they shorthanded those. God began, God began with the Greek letter theta because it's theos. So when you'd read through some of the letters and you just saw the theta there by itself, you knew it was God. And for Christ, it was the chi. It looks just like an X, just like an X. And so if you were reading the letter, you knew it was Christ. And I showed one of the, uh, one of the examples of what exists because let me tell you, there's more there is more history on the New Testament than any ancient document. At the University of Michigan, there is a great collection of New Testament manuscripts. You can go to the U of M library and look at them. And I put a picture of one up here a couple weeks ago with 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And there it was, chapter 12, verse 2. I knew a man in Christ, and there was Christ. It's just the, the one letter knew a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I know not, God knows. And then two lines below, there was God, just the letter theta. So we could see this, this shorthand existed, and it was picked up by translators. The English tra translators saw these shorthands. X became sort of a symbol for Christ then. And in the English language, hundreds of years, people used X-M-A-S to represent Christmas. I've seen it in old hymnals. I've seen it in an old pastor's handbook. I was looking through some old books the other day, and I found this old book. It was called, it was called, uh, put the picture of that book up, because then I'll get the title. Yeah, it was called Three Christmas Gifts. Three Christmas Gifts. That was the book. And you can see how they spelled it on, the, on the, the cover of the book. They didn't want you to say Xmas. No, they want you to say Christmas. It's just a shorthand. So when you see that, don't take Christ out of it. See Christ. And that's what we want to focus on until Christmas Eve. And of course, all throughout our lives is to see Christ. We want to see the hope of Christ. So we began this series talking about a man named Simeon. And he saw the hope of Christ. He saw the consolation of Israel, the little babe, the Christ child. And when his eyes laid on him, he said, I see your salvation. Father God, I see your salvation. And it's Jesus Christ, this little babe. And Simeon's hope was fulfilled. He said, this child will be a light. He'll be a light not only to the Gentiles, but to the glory of all your people. So don't let the world cross out Christ. Don't let the world take Jesus out of Christmas. See the hope of your salvation. And then last week we heard a great message on the love of Christ. I say it was a great message because I didn't preach it. I can say that. It was a fabulous message on the love of Christ. And the picture was this Old Testament prophet Hosea. He was 
the image of the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus Christ, showed the love of our salvation because Hosea purchased his wife from prostitution, from slavery. And that's a picture of what Christ would do for us. Hosea gave his all so he could buy back his wife. Jesus Christ gave his all to pay for our sin, to make a way for us to be redeemed and reconciled with our Father God. He was born on Christmas, we heard last week, to ultimately die on the cross to save us from our sins. There is no greater love. Don't let the world cross out Christ from Christmas. See the love of Christ who sacrificed for your salvation, for my salvation. And this morning, if you haven't already picked up on the theme, joy, joy, the hope and the love of Christ. It was fulfilled in his arrival on the first Christmas, and that is reason for joy. It's reason to rejoice. Let's see Jesus Christ, the joy of our salvation. Don't let the world take away your joy. Don't let the world cross out your joy. And I want to consider an example this morning of joy of one when he first saw Jesus. He couldn't see him, but when he did see him, and when he came to Jesus face to face, what a difference, what a difference it made. This uh, example is from Luke chapter 19. If you have a tablet, if you have a Bible that's made out of paper, stick your thumb in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to get there in a minute. I want to give you some background of this account. It's the only place in the Bible you'll read about this incident in Scripture. It's only in Luke's gospel. And I want to give you a little background. In this instance, Jesus is just two weeks from being arrested, two weeks away from being arrested, crucified, hung on a tree to die for our salvation. And he was walking towards Jerusalem. He was about to pass through a city called Jericho, and crowds were following Jesus. Before entering the city, there was a poor blind man outside the city at the gates of the city, and he was begging And he heard Jesus was coming by, and he cried out. He cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now let me give you a little sense of the attitude of the crowd as they're coming into a city, and a poor blind beggar cries out for Jesus. How do you think the crowd responded? They said, Be quiet. Leave him alone. They rebuked a poor blind man. Silence, they said. So what does it show us about these people? The people in a crowd seem to be all about themselves. Here's a poor, blind guy calling out for Jesus. They tell him, be quiet, silence. Well, that just gets the guy going more. Hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heard the man, and he stopped. Not only did he stop, but he gave the man his sight. Now, this fickle crowd that didn't want Jesus to stop, that didn't want Jesus to be bothered by this poor man, well, now they're excited. Now, 
they begin to praise God. You can imagine the exuberance of a crowd. Imagine if you were in a crowd where you witnessed somebody receive their sight back. The noise of the crowd that surrounded Jesus, it must have been deafening as he begins to enter the city of Jericho. Now let's pick up the account. It's in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. I want to read verses 1 through 10. Right after this incident where Jesus healed this man. He entered Jericho, Jesus did, and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the first 10 verses of Luke 19, and that's all we have about this man, Zacchaeus. He, uh, it's very brief. It's very brief. It's one of these sections in the Bible where we are asking for more details. Couldn't we have a little bit more in this account? There's no doubt that there's details lacking. There's not much here about this man. And I believe that there is time. There is some time between verse 6, when this Zacchaeus come down from the tree, and verse 7, when the people grumbled. And I believe there's some time between verse 7, when they grumbled, and verse 8, when Zacchaeus spoke to the Lord. So I want to try this morning to fill in some of those gaps. What did this man know about Jesus? What did Zacchaeus know about uh, Jesus? He was curious, that's for sure. We can see that just by reading the passage. He was curious about Jesus. But why? Was it all the talk of the blind man being cured? Had he heard the crowd as they come into the city, you know, all exuberant and all excited about the miracle worker, worker this, this Jesus who had just healed a, a blind man? Maybe that perked up his ears. Had he heard about this Matthew, who was a, a tax collector too? And this Matthew had started to follow Jesus. Luke 15, when you read Luke 15, the, the beginning verse, it says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. So I had these rumors from the tax collectors and a guy like Matthew, uh, the talk about Jesus, had that made it to Zacchaeus? After all, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. 
Now, that would mean he was an overseer of tax collectors. He probably wasn't out there on the highways and the byways collecting toll taxes from individuals. That's what Matthew was. Matthew was a toll tax collector. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, we read. So he was an overseer. And the tax collectors in this society, they were shunned. They were ostracized. They were like a separate society. They were hated by their fellow Jews. Why is that? Well, first, let me just ask any of you a question here. How many of you love paying your taxes? Okay. Well, I, I, is that a hand back there? Okay, I think I saw one hand. And that's okay, right? So uh, supporting, the, supporting the work of the government. But, you know, sometimes it feels like they're just peeling too much out of your wallet. And not too many people like paying taxes. That's one reason these people weren't liked. But second, they were working for a foreign government. They were working for Rome. They were working for the occupiers. Rome had occupied Israel. They were an occupying force, and they sold off areas almost like franchises. You collect the taxes here, give us this amount of money. Okay, so the winner of that auction who got that franchise paid Rome. Now they were free to collect as much as they wanted. And oftentimes they took more than was really due. So they were hated, and they were hated because they're working for the enemy. So the tax collectors were shunned because, well, you're working for the occupiers. They were sort of a, a little society unto themselves, viewed as traitors, turncoats. People would rather make a buck than stay faithful to their nation. So when we read in Luke 15 that uh, these tax collectors often came to Jesus, it was a separate little society. The talk would mainly be amongst themselves. That's the only people that would really be their friends. Maybe Zacchaeus heard about Jesus through his tax collector network. Maybe it was. Maybe it was the, the blind man being healed. Maybe it was just Jesus coming in and he just wanted to find out who this guy was with this loud crowd. Some of those things may have influenced Zacchaeus. What we know for sure is that when Jesus came into the city, this guy wanted to see him. But he couldn't. He was too short. The Bible tells us he was small of stature, but he was resourceful. So he was like MacGyver. He was going to figure out a way that he could see Jesus. What did he do? He ran ahead. He found a sycamore tree, and he climbed up and those trees in that area, they're trees that are often sort of low to the ground, and they got those long, broad branches you just walk out on. So pretty easy to climb up. Some of them you could almost just run up. And he ran ahead, got in that tree, and when Jesus arrived at the tree, something happened. Just like what happened with the blind man outside the city. Jesus stopped, and he called Zacchaeus by name. He didn't say, hey, you buddy, what are you doing up in the tree? He said, Zacchaeus. He knew his name. And he said, I want to go to your house today. Now, what's, what's the response? How did Zach respond? Oh, he scrambles down the tree. 
it, we don't read that there was any delay. He not only comes down the tree, but he's delighted. He's overjoyed. It says he received Jesus joyfully. Now, the details are thin there, but evidently, uh, Jesus and likely his closest disciples, they went to be guests in Zacchaeus' house. And we read that in the, in the next verse. It says, the crowd grumbled, saying, he has gone in. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Now, imagine what it would have been like in Zacchaeus' house. I imagine it was similar to when Jesus called Matthew. You can read about that in the Gospel of Mark. When Matthew, the tax collector, was called, Jesus said, follow me. He dropped his roadside toll booth there, and he hosted a party. And we can read about the details there. Matthew had other tax collectors come. He had Jesus' disciples come, and he held a feast. And again, Jesus was pointed at saying he's, he's eating with sinners. Zacchaeus, I imagine that he invited his only friends, there would have been other tax collectors, to dinner with Jesus. And Jesus, I'm guessing, brought his closest disciples with him. This was his entourage that was always with him, and he wouldn't leave them out. So I picture this feast being prepared by Zacchaeus. I'm also reminded of the feast that Abraham had prepared. If you read in the book of Genesis, Abraham was visited by three angelic visitors. One was the Lord. And when Abraham saw these heavenly travelers, he called to his wife and his servants, and he said, get the best flour, knead up the best bread, find the most tender calf and prepare it, and get the curds and the milk. And I'm guessing that Zacchaeus requested the best of his food to be prepared for Jesus and those who were coming with him. And a good host. A good host would have robes for their guests. The best robe for the guest of honor. If you recall the parable of the prodigal son, the father had a great feast when his son came home. And he said, get the finest robe for him. He was the guest of honor. And I imagine Zacchaeus had a fine robe to give to Jesus to be part of this celebration. And I imagine that he had robes for others and for himself, that he, that he took off his tax-collecting clothes. And he said, I got to take off my tax-collecting jacket, and I need to put on my festival jacket. I need to put on my joy jacket because today is a day of joy. So I can imagine he pulled out of his closet something joyful to put on and to wear because it was the day of joy. was a reason to celebrate. The joy of the Lord was in his house. This Jesus had said, I want to come to your house today. Well, it's a day to celebrate. That's why we celebrate Christmas. I love Christmas. Christmas is a day of great joy. 
And Zacchaeus, he was hosting the Lord and hosting him joyfully. I believe he didn't hold back anything. Then what? Then what? That fickle crowd. That fickle crowd. They tried to steal his joy. When they saw it, when the crowd saw Zacchaeus thrilled to welcome Jesus, and when they saw Jesus not only willing, but Jesus had suggested this, hey, I want to come to your house, they all grumbled. They complained. They complained against Jesus, and they complained against Zacchaeus. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Ah, Imagine the crowd's murmurings. Doesn't Jesus know who this man is? Doesn't he know? How could he? How could he eat with him? How could he associate with such a person? He is a sinner. And I don't think the word escaped the ears of Zacchaeus. Sinner. Sinner. But something had happened to this man. Whatever he knew of Jesus, whether he had heard about him from other tax collectors, whether it was the talk of the blind man being healed, or maybe it was just the time that he had spent with Jesus that day, something happened inside the heart of Zacchaeus. And he confronted his sin. It's not that he needed to be reminded. He didn't need that crowd telling him he was a sinner. No, he, he knew and he had to confront his sin as every single person must do. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And one day we need to make an accounting for that before God. And when we realize this and realize there is a way that we could stand righteous before God. And his name is Jesus. That gets us to thinking. And I believe Zacchaeus was thinking about this. and He's confronting his sin and thinking about it. And something happened and he turned. In a word, he repented. And repentance in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says it's about godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See that crowd outside of Zacchaeus' house? Any sorrow they might have had, that's the worldly sorrow. That's the sorrow that leads to death. Complainers. Judging a man's worthiness. Saying, you know, you're not even worthy to go to Jesus. They had just done this to the poor blind beggar. Silence. You're not worthy to call on Jesus. Zacchaeus, he's a sinner. Too much of a sinner to be in the presence of Jesus. That type of sorrow that comes in the world, it's expressed with sour expressions, negativity, complaints. And then there's Zacchaeus. Somewhere in his encounter with Jesus, 
he has determined there is more than signs and miracles and healing people and giving them sight. At some point, he has realized there is something far more greater. He has been ostracized by his own people. He has been classified as a sinner, and he knows it. He has been shunned by all of his people except the others who collect taxes. But Jesus, a fellow Jew, he's been different. He hasn't shunned Zacchaeus, no. He's reached out. He's reached out with love. He has called this man by his name. Now, despite the reputation as a sinner, Jesus asked to come into his house. No doubt godly sorrow churned inside of the heart of Zacchaeus. Perhaps it had been gnawing at him for some time. We don't know for sure, but we know how it manifests itself. We know how it came to the surface. It came to the surface with joy, a joyful reception of Jesus. He says, come on into my house. Come on in. And the outside people are, they're picking on him for the sinner and Jesus in the same place. It's doesn't matter to Zacchaeus now. He makes this bold declaration before Jesus. It says Zacchaeus stood up. So again, this lets us know he wasn't standing by the tree. Evidently, he'd gone into his house, likely reclined at the table, and he stood up. He stood up when these murmurers in the crowd were saying, oh, he's a sinner and Zacchaeus likely heard through the window, he stood up and he said, Behold, Lord. He recognized Jesus as Lord. Behold, Lord. And that says something. He saw Jesus. You know, the culture outside was trying to put a big ax in front of him. You know, Zacchaeus, you can't have him. Nothing there for you. No, but Zacchaeus saw him. And he said, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll repay them four times. That's Old Testament restitution. And he followed it to the letter. I'll give them four times. This was not some half-hearted feigned, insincere gesture pointing to tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow I'll do it, uh, Jesus. Oh, in the next week. Oh, yeah, at the end of the year when I've got to make my accounting, I'll give to the poor and I'll repay. No. He said, half my goods I give to the poor. It's present tense. Look, Lord, right now I give half to the poor. I can picture Zacchaeus walking to the safe place into his house where he has things stored and starting to count it out right now. I'm giving half to the poor. I don't picture him crying and broken, but jubilant, thrilled that he is worthy to be received by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the midst of the one who offers salvation and forgiveness of sin. And he has shown sincere repentance, expressing his godly sorrow with great joy. 
Now, with repentance, there is no particular formula. Repentance is a conscious, genuine desire to change, to turn, to go a different way, to turn from sin. And it can be manifested many ways. Yes, there can be brokenness in in heart, and that can be expressed outwardly. The man Job, in the Old Testament, he repented in dust and ashes. King David who wrote Psalm 51 and expressed his repentance. It was with great humility and great remorse that he confessed his sin, and he begged mercy and cleansing from God. Some have come to Jesus in brokenness and tears, like the woman who cried at Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. And what did Jesus say to her? Your sins are forgiven. And how did Jesus respond to Zacchaeus, who was having a great time with him, and he was, he was joyful? Jesus recognized his sincere repentance. And Jesus announced to all who could hear, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Picture Jesus with a great smile on his face. He's declaring, Zacchaeus, you're saved. And he says, furthermore, you're worthy of this. You are worthy of salvation. And that's the reference here to the son of Abraham. Why did Jesus add this? Because those people outside who were saying, you shouldn't be there with that sinner. These were Jews who thought they were better. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Hey, this, this man, his descendant, is this, he comes from the same place as you do. He comes from Abraham. And he is just as worthy as you are. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The lost of the lineage of Abraham. As a matter of fact, the lost of the lineage of Adam. That's all of us. It's not our place to be like the crowd and say, well, that person's too much of a sinner. And you know, oh, that person, they're, they're too unworthy to receive the gospel. And it's like putting a big X in front of Jesus and crossing him out. But Jesus came for everyone. No one is unworthy to receive the invitation from Jesus. Now the response and the repentance It's a hard thing. But no one is unworthy to receive the invitation. When Jesus was born, the angels said of his birth, it'll bring good news, which will be great joy to all people. And Zacchaeus was one who received it with great joy. Maybe you just don't see Christ in Christmas. Maybe you're still seeing an X. But see him today. See him today like Zacchaeus did. And let me tell you, Jesus knows your name. He wants you to come to him today and to meet you if you never have and to have a relationship with you, to make you a friend, to smile at you and say, salvation has come to your house today. You know, if your heart has been churning, if it's been wondering about this Jesus, why did he come for Christmas? If you know you've been doing things your own way, 
and you're lost in sin, like Zacchaeus was, you just need to open up. And you can open with joy. You can receive him with joy because he'll change your life. And let the Christ of Christmas come in. The offer he has, it's an eternal offer. Eternal life, if you receive him. You can receive him gladly. You can receive him joyfully. And you can celebrate.